Our scripture reading today comes from the book of Mark, chapter 16, verses 1 through 8. When the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of James, and Salome bought spices so that they might go and anoint him. And very on, the first day of the week, when the sun had risen, they went to the tomb. They had been saying to one another, who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance to the tomb? When they looked up, they saw that the stone, which was very large, had already been rolled back. As they entered the tomb, they saw a young man dressed in a white robe sitting on the right side, and they were alarmed. But he said to them, Do not be alarmed. You are looking for Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He has been raised. He is not here. Look, there is the place they laid him. But go, tell his disciples and Peter that he is going ahead of you to Galilee. There you will see him, just as he told you. So they went out and fled from the tomb, for terror and amazement had seized them, and they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Yeah. Thanks, Rob. Good morning, church. My name is Rob Lau. I am one of the pastors here at Ebenezer. Uh, I'm glad that you're with us today, and I, I'm gonna. I need to start by saying something. I'm gonna say it, and then uh, we don't ever have to bring it up again. My friend, Mark Miller, was the pastor here for 22 years. During his tenure, the Washington Capitals never so much as won a single Stanley Cup Finals game. Now, it's true, I can't prove a correlation between my family's presence here at Ebenezer and the wild success of our favorite hockey team. But what is also true is that you can't disprove such a correlation, right? (laughs) So I guess what I'm trying to say is you're welcome, church. You're welcome. (laughs) Now on to, what's that? Can we do it for the Redskins? We'll see. We'll see. Uh, uh, now on to the important work and the reason that we came here today, or one of the reasons we came here today, was to be edified by the knowledge that we find from God's Word. And so today we are, we are concluding a sermon series entitled, The First Gospel. It's, it's been about the story of the Gospel of Mark, the first Gospel that was ever written. And what I would say to you is that it is impossible to overstate how important the Gospel of Mark is. Did you know, for example, that there are passages in Matthew, Mark, and Luke that are identical to one another? Verbatim. They are exactly the same. I'm not saying they tell the same story. I'm telling they use the same words to tell the same story. How does that happen? Almost certainly it's because Matthew and Luke used Mark as one of their sources, which makes sense to us, right? If God tasked one of us to help tell the greatest story that's ever been told, I'd want to make sure I had the best sources available to me. And that's what Matthew and Luke did. They told the story from their perspective using the best source they had available, the Gospel of Mark. My point is simply to say, you can't overstate the importance of Mark's Gospel. And so far, we found that in Mark there are 16 chapters. We've covered the first 15 of them in the previous two weeks. We saw that in the the first 15 chapters of Mark, there are really kind of two themes that emerge. In Mark chapters 1 through 8, we see the theme of the powerful prophet. 
Jesus is a man of power. He casts out demons. He calms storms. He feeds the thousands. He heals people. Jesus is a man of remarkable power. But at the end of chapter 8, a transition takes place. Jesus talks about how he, who is the, the God of all power, how he must become the servant of all people and go to the cross. The powerful prophet becomes the suffering servant. These are the two halves of the book of Mark. The powerful prophet becomes the suffering servant. Are you with me so far? All right. Let me give you uh, two other nuances that help connect the gospel of Mark and prepare us to understand the ending of Mark's gospel. You see, you've got these two parts. The powerful prophet becomes the suffering servant. And connecting these two halves of the gospel of Mark are two sub-themes. The first sub-theme, you need go no further than Mark chapter 1 to see. In Mark chapter 1, verse 10, we hear these words, Just as Jesus was coming up out of the water, he saw the heavens open. That phrase, just as, is the Greek word euthios. It means immediately. Immediately as he came up out of the water, he saw the heavens open. In verse 12, a spirit immediately drove him into the wilderness. In verse 18, immediately they left their nets and followed him. In verse 20, immediately he called them and they left their father Zebedee in the boat. In verse 29, 31, 43, Euthios, 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 immediately, immediately, immediately. In the 16 chapters of the Gospel of Mark, the word immediately is used over 40 times in 16 chapters. Immediately. It is a gospel of immediacy. It's Mark is a carpe diem kind of gospel. Seize this day. Seize this moment. We see that Jesus is about a great work and he needs to accomplish it. And he needs to accomplish it immediately. That's one theme. A second theme also emerges in chapter 1. See, Jesus heals this guy. And then Jesus tells him, not to say anything to anybody about the fact that Jesus had healed him. We see this all throughout the Gospel of Mark. Another example is in chapter 7. Jesus resurrects a little girl from the dead, tells her family, don't say anything to anybody. In chapter 8, Jesus says, who do you say that I am? Peter says, you're the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus says, shh, don't say anything about it. Don't tell anybody. All throughout the Gospel of Mark... We find Jesus doing powerful things and then telling people not to say anything about what he's just done for them. Theologians have historically called this phenomenon the messianic secret in the Gospel of Mark. Jesus will do something great and he will tell people to be quiet, don't tell anybody. So you've got the powerful prophet becoming the suffering servant and linking these two themes together, you've got the two competing sub-themes of immediacy and silence. Uh, so if you're a first-time reader of this book, here's the way it's going to feel to you. There's going to be some dissonance for you. You're reading through the Gospel of Mark, and you keep hearing this word, immediately, 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 and then you hear Jesus go, shh, hurry, 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 now be quiet. Rush, 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 now stop. Some of you are in the military. You are familiar with this prospect, or at least I am from my time in the Air Force, that whole, hurry up, now wait. Right? Hurry up and wait phenomenon happens sometimes when we're in the military. It happens in the Gospel of Mark. Hurry up, hurry up, hurry up, now be quiet. Hurry up, hurry up, hurry up, now be quiet. I have illustrated this for us today just to make sure that we understand. In Mark we find the powerful prophet in chapter 1 through 8. Becomes the suffering servant in chapters 9 through 15. 
And those two themes are connected by immediacy and silence. Are you still with me? All right. If you're with me still, then we can move on to Mark chapter 16. I want to invite you to to grab a Bible somewhere around you. Maybe you're using the Bible app. That's great. If you're not using the Bible app, if you didn't bring your own Bible with you, grab a Bible in the pew. And we'll do this sometimes. We'll ask you to turn. But today is actually a time I really, really need you to because not only do I want you to see what's going on in the text, but there there's something kind of funky at the end of Mark chapter 16. And I, I want to make sure that we see it and understand it together. So Mark chapter 16. Hey, if you're using one of the pew Bibles, uh, it's on page 778 of the pew Bible. Mark chapter 16, we're going to look at verses 1 through 8 together. Mark chapter 16. When the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene, Mary mother of James, and Salome bought spices so they might go and anoint Jesus. And very early on the first day of the week, when the sun had risen, they went to the tomb. They had been saying to one another, who will roll away the stone for us? When they looked up, they saw the stone, which was very large, had already been rolled back. As they entered the tomb, they saw a young man dressed in a white robe sitting on the right side, and they were alarmed. But he said to them the most important words that have ever been spoken in the history of the world. He said to them, do not be alarmed. You are looking for Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He has been raised. He is not here. Look, this is the place they laid him, but go tell his disciples and Peter that he is going ahead of you to Galilee, and there you will see him just as he told you. So they went out and fled from the tomb, for terror and amazement had seized them, and they said nothing to anyone because they were afraid. Here endeth the gospel of Mark. They said nothing to anyone because they were afraid. That's the last words of the Gospel of Mark. And you're looking at your Bibles and you're saying, no, it isn't. Yeah, it is. But there's more. No, there's not. Look, you see, uh, after that, uh, they said nothing to anyone because they were afraid. Do you have a footnote or an asterisk right there? The question for us is, what does that asterisk, what does that footnote mean for us? What does the asterisk mean? And in the Pew Bible, if you follow the asterisk down to the bottom of the text, here's what you will read. The most reliable early manuscripts conclude the Gospel of Mark at verse 8. You know what that means? It means that the original text of the Gospel of Mark ended with these words. They said nothing to anyone because they were afraid. Let me ask you this. Uh, what do you think about that ending? You love it, right? No. Would you agree with me? That's, that's really not a great ending to the first gospel that was ever written. They said nothing to anyone because they were afraid? All right, catch you later. What? No, that's not a great ending, right? Are you with me? It's not a great ending to the gospel of Mark. And that's why people went back. And added extra endings. They didn't like the ending of the Gospel of Mark. So they went back and they added it. And, and there are two more prominent extra endings that people have added. You, most of your Bibles will say there's a shorter ending of Mark and a longer ending of Mark. The shorter ending of Mark is kind of innocuous. It just puts an extra little spin on the text. The longer ending of Mark, though, there's some interesting stuff in there. 
Like, if you would, look with me at chapter 16, verses 17 and 18. This is an extra-canonical piece. This was not in the original text. Here's what it says. And these signs will accompany those who believe. By using my name, they will cast out demons. All right. I like that. They will speak in new tongues. Yes, they will. Pentecost is coming. They will pick up snakes in their hands. Hold on a minute. They will drink poison and it will not harm them. Wait, what? Did you know that there are churches in the Christian world today that as part of their worship, they they use snakes, they handle snakes in their worship. Did you know that? Did you? So I thought we'd try it together. Come on. Come on. Hello. Hi, sweet girl. Come on. Hi. This is Sarah Beth. She's scared to death. And uh, so the thing about her, she's a sweet girl. <laughs> but uh, every once in a while, she does jump at people. Oh, my God. Are you all right? Are you all right, Thomas? You okay? You all right? Sarah's not real. You can come back. It's okay. <laughs> she's not real. Uh, <clears throat> couple things I want to say to you, Thomas. First of all, all the world witnessed this because we're live streaming today. And, and secondly, the restrooms are right in the back of the room. You're welcome to them. <laughs> so... Uh, <clears throat> One of the things that I think was interesting is in in, uh, in my preparations to become a pastor, I actually uh, I, I went to a snake handling church o- only one time. It wasn't as a worshiper; it was simply to um, to ob- observe. See, I was taking this class called Religion in the Body, and we were looking at the ways that our, our physical being interacts with our spiritual being in worship. Right? Why do we sometimes stand and sometimes kneel and sometimes sit and sometimes we raise our hands and in some churches you hold tightly to a prayer book? Why do we inhabit worship physically the way that we inhabit worship? Right? And one of the things that that was was very interesting to me was snake handling churches, and I wanted to try and understand why people would do this. And so I, I went and I visited a church in Sand Mountain, Alabama. There's actually, if you're really, if you're interested in this phenomenon, there's a book about it called Salvation on Sand Mountain. It's a really interesting story about a person's faith journey in connection with, but as an act of worship, they handle snakes. In fact, their worship is very much like ours. I mean, not the snake part, but very much otherwise like ours. They stand and they sing praises to God and then they sit down and they hear the word of God proclaimed. And then, uh, after worship, after they've, they've heard the, the word of God proclaimed, uh, as a response to worship, they will handle snakes and sometimes they'll drink poison. Um, now, one of the things I thought was really interesting was behind like the third pew, uh, there was a red line painted on the carpet. And if you stayed behind the red line, they wouldn't handle you, hand you a snake. But if during that section of the service you came in front of the red line, they would hand you a snake. Talk about the importance of reading the bulletin, right, church? You know what I'm saying? <laughs> And, and I didn't, I didn't possess the understanding that I do today about the gospel of Mark because if, if I had that understanding then, I would have gone and I would say, don't you realize that you're risking your lives? In fact, Sand Mountain, Alabama is the site of the most recent death in snake handling. Um, 
you realize you're risking your life for something that actually wasn't in the original text of the Gospel of Mark? Why would people add something like this to the Bible? My friends, I would suggest that they added the extra endings of Mark not simply because they didn't like the original ending of the Mark of the Gospel of Mark. The reason an extra ending was added to the Gospel of Mark is because they didn't understand the original ending. And today I want to make certain that together we do understand the original ending of the first Gospel, the first story of the good news of Jesus Christ. Put yourself in the perspective of someone who is reading the story of Jesus for the first time. You've never heard it before. After all, this is the first gospel that's ever been written. And in it, we see the powerful prophet become the suffering servant. The God with complete authority tosses away all his power to serve the world. It's the single greatest act of love in history. We've just witnessed it for 15 chapters. We've seen these two parts of the tale connected and held in tension with two competing sub-themes. Hurry up! Hurry up! Hurry up! Now be quiet. Hurry up! Hurry up! Hurry up! Now be quiet. We've seen this for 15 chapters. And then in chapter 16, following the great act of love, we see an even greater act of power. Jesus is alive. And after 15 chapters of being told to hush, Finally, we're given permission, a command to go and tell. And what do the people at the tomb do with the greatest news that has ever been heard? They say nothing to anyone because they were afraid. You are the first reader. Of the first gospel. What does the ending of Mark cause you to want to do? If they said nothing to anyone. Because they were afraid. It makes me want to go out and tell everyone. About Jesus Christ. This is the beauty of the gospel of Mark. This is the beauty That people didn't understand, so they wrote extra endings. The beauty is, Mark is not simply designed to tell the story of Jesus. Mark is designed to compel us to go forth and tell the story of Jesus too. It is a gospel that turns other people into walking gospels. There's a guy by the name of Fritz Kreisler. He lived in the late 19th into the early 20th century. He was a violinist, a virtuoso at the violin. He was also quite a philanthropist. Just about every dollar he made, he gave away. One day he was traveling through Europe and he walked into this little boutique and he saw the most beautiful violin he'd ever seen. He didn't have enough money to buy it because he'd given all his money away. So he went and he held a couple of concerts and he he raised the sum that he needed. He went back to the proprietor and he said, can I please buy that violin? And the guy said, I'm sorry to tell you, but I just sold it to a collector. And so Chrysler said, "You've you've got to tell me who it is. And after some back and forth, finally the proprietor relented and gave away the name of the collector who purchased the violin. Chrysler went to his home. He knocked on the door. When the man opened the door, he said, I'm here to buy your violin. And the collector said, well, it's not for sale. You can't have it. 
And Christ just said, but it's, it's the most beautiful instrument I've, I've ever seen. And the man said, I'm sorry, it's become my most prized possession. I'm, I'm not going to give it to you. So after several attempts to try and convince this man, Chrysler finally accepted the fact that he, he wasn't going to be able to buy this instrument. And so he simply said, would you be kind enough before I leave? Would you let me play it? Permission was granted and the great virtuoso filled the room with such heart-moving music that the collector's emotions were deeply stirred. And the man who owned the violin said, I have no right to keep this to myself. You must take it into the world and let people hear it. The point of the Gospel of Mark is that this story is too important and beautiful for us to keep to ourselves. The God with complete power became servant and slave to all the world to rescue us because He loves us. Just a few miles from here on the coast of Virginia a number of years ago, next to a very rocky atoll that went out into the seawater, uh, a rescue brigade was formed. See, ships kept coming by these rocks and they would get caught up on the rocks and people were drowning. So they formed this, this rescue center. And they scraped together enough money to buy a ratty old boat. And any time there was a wreck... On those rocks, they would get in their ratty old boat and they would go out and they would rescue people. Rain or shine, day and night, they'd rescue people. So, in time, the notoriety grew of these people. And folks actually started giving them money. Eventually, they were able to get rid of their ratty old boat. They bought two brand new boats that they could use to to rescue folks. And every time something happened, they would traipse out there and they would save folks. Well, eventually, people started volunteering. They got a, a good group of, of rescuers together. And, and people started looking at the little rescue hut where they waited for emergencies. And they said, you know, this, this place is kind of drab. Let's make it nicer. So they did. Did a capital campaign. Put down hardwood floors. Bought nice, nice furniture. One night, the big one hit. An ocean liner got stuck on the rocks. The rescuers left their center and they went out into the water and they rescued everybody. Everybody. Black people and white people. They rescued rich people and poor people. They rescued first-class passengers and those who shoveled coal into engines. They rescued everybody and they brought them back to the rescue center to make sure they were okay. And people started to notice something. They started to notice that these people were scuffing up their new hardwood floors. That the the furniture was getting soiled. And so they called a, a meeting. They said, you know, now that we've got this really nice rescue center here, this great building, um... Maybe we should stop rescuing people because they're messing up our building. Well, a few people were up in arms about this, as you would imagine. They was, you know, our, our mission here is to rescue people, but they got shouted down by everybody else. And so, so those those few people who wanted to continue rescue operations, they they left that rescue center. They went down down the beach and they started a new rescue center 
which started to gain some notoriety, and eventually they got run out of there too. And I'm guessing that you could walk not too far anywhere in the Commonwealth of Virginia and find a building that was built to be a rescue center. It's forgotten that they were built to rescue people. I don't want Ebenezer Church to forget that we were built to rescue people. One of the beautiful things about the Gospel of Mark, when you understand its meaning, is that it tells us the greatest story that's ever been told in a poetic and beautiful way, and it concludes it in such a manner that compels us to want to go out and rescue. And we must do that. But I recognize this also. It would be pastoral malpractice if I were to ask us to go forth and rescue people without giving us the tools that enables us to rescue them. So, I want to give you some homework. This is your mission should you choose to accept it. I want to invite you to go forth from this place and develop something called an elevator speech. What in the world does that mean? Elevator speech uh, was introduced by a guy named Rick Warren, who's a pastor, and he said, if you walked onto an elevator and somebody saw you wearing a gold cross and they said, are you a Christian? Tell me why. The doors are going to close. You've got two minutes till the doors open again. What would you tell them on that elevator ride? It's your elevator speech. And so here's my assignment. Here's my, here's my mission if, if you choose to accept it. My mission is for, for you to go home and to develop your elevator speech. If you were to be in a conversation with someone and they were to say to you, why are you a Christian? Tell me why. How would you answer? And I'm not talking about being able to quote scripture or articulate theology. I'm trying to, I'm talking about how has Jesus Christ rescued me? Can we tell that story? I want to invite you to develop that story and then share it with somebody. I don't even care who. Husband, wife, friend, dog. I don't care. Tell the story to somebody. And if you'd, if you'd be willing, I'd like to, I'd like to hear your story too. So uh, on the sermon notes section of, of the bulletin is my email address, pastorrob at ebenezerumc.org. If you want to videotape it on your phone, shoot your two-minute speech to me. I just Not because I want to coach you or change it or anything. I just I want to hear how Jesus Christ rescued you. And one of the things I think is true is if we are prepared to tell people the story of how Christ rescued us, then in their moment of crisis, in the right moment that God places in front of us, we can become rescuers. The Gospel of Mark's a beautiful story. It's a wonderful tale of a powerful prophet who becomes the suffering servant. It articulates the greatest love story in the history of the world. At the end, at the end, it sticks in our crawl. If they didn't say anything to anyone because they were afraid, what am I going to do? I would suggest that today churches are full of people who don't say anything to anyone because they are still afraid. So the only question for us is, how will we respond to this knowledge? 
Like with the Gospel of Mark, who when people said nothing to anyone, it compelled us to want to go and tell. If we look at the church today, people are saying nothing to anyone. It must compel us to want to go and tell. Return us to this mission that we have always had. A mission of rescuing people to the glory of God. They said nothing to anyone. It makes me want to tell everyone. How about you? Would you pray with me? Holy God, we give you thanks for the story of Mark's gospel. For the truth it tells us about you, our king, becoming a powerful prophet. Leaving the riches of glory to inhabit the earth. Bring your power with you. And then how you, the great king, became vulnerable. You gave up your power to serve the earth. You gave up your power to love us. You gave up your power to rescue us when we couldn't do it ourselves. I thank you for the masterful nature of Mark's gospel that invites us to ask ourselves one simple question. If others are not sharing the story of Jesus Christ, will I? Help us to go forth from this place, this hour, with the desire to rescue those who need your love. We pray these things with great expectation because we pray them in the name of Jesus Christ. And all of God's children said, Amen.